going back to that same idea with us trying to reach out to people. I want you to think for a minute, just think back in your history, and I've got things going on in my head when I think of these, these concepts, but just think about uh, people in your life who have had an impact. I like to think back on these people sometimes, and I can think back, you know, sometimes it was people my own age when I went to school, and some just, I, I've told people before, had my wife met me when I was in college, we probably would not be married. Uh, I was a little on the wild side. And my idea of something that was kind of normal, you know, dive out of bed and tackle the hall leader just for the fun of it. And I just, I mean, it was just, you know, dumb stuff. But I had fun. I, I did weird things. I was extremely, you won't believe this, I was extremely loud. I knew how to get loud. And, uh, and I enjoyed it. But I, I had guys that would put up with that stuff and still want to come along and minister to me. And it was great. They helped me. But when I look back to people who really challenged me spiritually, uh, some of you met at, at, at my ordination, you met the man, uh, Harry Smith. That man was my, I'll call him my first pastor. I had been in some churches earlier but it was not the kind of thing where you got to know your pastor, where you could go and say, hey, let's chat for a little bit. Harry Smith took this strange teenager who had some weird thoughts, who was kind of on the wild side, and he accepted me. And he became my friend and loved me. That man ended up leading me to the Lord. And I respect that man to this day. He was, he's my friend. So when I look back to people who have had a, made a difference in me, that's one of the names that pops up. Another one, uh, you saw his picture up here earlier, Bob Jones. Uh, that man was the one preaching the night that I got saved. And I, I have had nothing, really, to offer him. It's not like, I mean, you look at our congregation, it's not like we have some junior, senior high school where he's coming and saying, okay, I want to I recruit there's, there's nothing. But that man keeps coming here to this little church. And uh, some of you may not even have remembered this. He, he invited the entire church that year to go down to Bible conference. All expenses paid, motels, food, everything for a week. Just to be kind to us. That man has invested in my life for decades. And I look back at other pastors, mentors, friends, even just people with godly character who were willing to invest in me. They were willing to love me, willing to put up with me and my little idiosyncrasies. And, I, and it's, it's a challenge to me. It, it's, it, for me, it's a very encouraging thing. And some of those guys are now just, you know, they're close friends of mine. But at that point in time, they really weren't my you mean my buddies? They were just, they were mentoring me. They were helping me. They had a walk with God that they were willing to share and to challenge me to walk in that way as well. And that was their goal. They were looking out for my best interest. Male, female, made no difference. And here's what they were doing. They were pastoring me. Some of them were in that position. Some of them were not. But they were 
pastoring, shepherding me, and actively being involved, and here's the key word for it, in discipling me. That was what they were doing. That is what everyone in this room is called to do. We are to be in that process of being discipled and discipling for our entire Christian life. That's what's expected of us. That is what we have signed up for if we say that we are followers of Jesus. As we do this, as you intentionally seek to follow Jesus, we know that normally there's going to be kickback. There is going to be persecution. We would call it spiritual warfare. It is real. Sometimes it's just human opposition, which can still be the spiritual warfare. We run into that today. And it was absolutely no different in Paul's day. Matter of fact, with him, it was probably more intense. Now, in the passage that we're starting today, we're going to be starting... First uh, Thessalonians chapter two. Before I go too far, Russell, I apologize for not communicating to you better. That's on me. But I didn't talk to you, so it's me. <laughs> so where we're starting today? That, that that broke everything up, didn't it? Okay. What Paul is going to be doing in this chapter? Thank you. Does anyone need one of these handouts? I know we didn't, they are new. It's the new one. So if you need it, Al's got them. He'll pass them out. $5 a piece. It can be given to me directly. No, don't do that. Okay. <laughs> Just put your hand up if you need one. Thank you, Al. I appreciate that reminder. So we're starting, second Th- I'm sorry, first, Th- first Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll be in this for several weeks, this first section. But what Paul is doing in this chapter is he is going to address the some some attacks that are being made against him. There are some very ungodly, primarily Jewish people, Jewish leaders in the synagogue, and they are attacking Paul vehemently. It's been really a, a very strong thing. So. Paul is addressing his own character in response to these attacks. So technically, we could say these verses, they apply to Paul. Well, that's true. We could say, as an extension, they apply to Paul and to the apostles. I wouldn't argue that. That would be true. We could say it applies to Paul and church leadership, the elders, the deacons, and that would also be true. But even though Paul is intentionally describing the character that he had, that spiritual leaders should have, I don't want you to dismiss this as characteristics that are for someone else. It's for someone who's been asked to be in a certain position. These characteristics are things that should be involved and should apply to every one of us in this room. We should have every one of these characteristics in our lives. This is what happens when we become disciple makers. When we become Christians. This is what we're signing up for. 
and this, you, this is going to come up more, but too often, I think what people sign up for is, I want to go to heaven. That's as far as my sign-up goes. That's not what you sign up for to become a Christian. We sign up to be followers of Jesus Christ. And that's what we've got to do. So none of us in this room gets a pass from this today. These apply to all of us. So let's pray, and then we'll start looking at our text. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for being concerned about us and desiring our best. Help us to follow you. Help us to be submissive to you. And Lord, I ask you would, you would bless us. Help us to grow to be more like our Savior. Lord, I, I ask for this time that we have together this morning. Lord, would you please use these brief minutes to minister to every life in this room. Everyone that's listening to this, minister to us and draw us close to you. Lord, conform us. Help us, Father, to be serious-minded about you and desiring to, to conform to you. I ask for your help as I preach. Well, please keep my words accurate. Help me to be not a distraction. And Lord, I pray that in some way we would glorify you by our efforts here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 2. Our first point we're going to look at is these characteristics. These are things that should be in a Christian's life. The first one is the tenacity for the gospel. There should be a tenacity for the gospel. And, and I'm just going to throw this in before we really get started. Those last two wor three words, a tenacity for the gospel. Not for what I want to say, not for what I think, for the gospel. If I, I like to imagine, and this, this doesn't happen, so it's, it's an imagination thing, but I like to imagine as I walk down from here and I'm finished, I want to know that if I run into Jesus, what I'm hearing is, you said what I said. The last thing I would want to hear from my Lord is, I never said that. You said I said that. I didn't say this. I didn't mean this. I want to speak the word as it should be said. And there's a phrase I heard recently. It's, uh, it went something like this. Uh, we need to preach what the word says, not take the word and say what I want to say. There's a huge difference. We need to say what this book says. And we need to be careful with that. When we're using this book to work with others, we've got to say what the book says. Okay. Back to our text. Tenacity for the gospel. First word, far, in, in verse 2. Far. That tells us something. That says, look back at what he just said, and that tells us what he's going to be talking about. So go back to verse 9. For they themselves show what manner of entering we had among you, unto you. Okay, the people who went through Thessalonica and had talked and dealt with these Thessalonians, they had found out that the Thessalonians were serious. They wanted to follow Jesus. They're showing us that it made a difference and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. Verse 2, for yourself, chapter 2, for yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. 
So what he's talking about here, he's looking back at that verse 9. These other people saw this difference in the Thessalonians. And he says here, you yourselves, you yourselves, you know, you know that our ministry wasn't in vain. Now you're going to see in one fashion or another this concept keep, come, keep coming up. You know, you witness, you experience. He keeps mentioning this all through this book. You know this is true. You know our ministry to you was not in vain. It wasn't futile. It wasn't a failure. It wasn't of no use. It wasn't ineffectual. We would use this, I would use this phrase today. Me working with you, it wasn't a waste of my time. That's what Paul's saying here. I didn't waste my time coming to you. God did something and you people are serious about wanting to follow Jesus. Have you ever worked with somebody and, and, and you, you pour into their lives and they just reject it? They want nothing to do with it. They, just go, they, they go and just do their own thing, serve their own flesh, and you're just sitting there scratching your head thinking, you know, this is frustrating. Often it seems like the people that we have dealt the closest with and tried to pour in the most to, they're the ones that get the nastiest when they leave. And it's, it is very frustrating. Then you would look at verse 2 and say, you know what, I think my time that I had with you at this point has been in vain. Paul's saying, my work with you, it was not in vain. You guys are now, back to verse 2, you yourselves... Brethren, your brethren. He uses that term. This is a short book. And in this five chapters, he's going to use that term brethren 18 times. He's letting them know this teaching that I did with you, this made a difference in your lives. You people became followers of Jesus. You are now on equal plane spiritually with me. You are brethren. And it wasn't just by name only. Do we ever see that today? People will say, I'm Christian. I'm Christ Everybody's a Christian. At least what I was raised. Everybody was a Christian. I didn't even know. I, I don't know if I ever met one. It was just, it was that bad. And I was in the Bible Belt. But everybody was a Christian. These people became Christians, but not just in their name. It mattered. It was not in vain. The fact that Paul went there made a big difference, and God used him. And those days aren't over. They're not over for Paul here. They're not over for us. Look at verse 2. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi. We'll stop mid-sentence there. That's why I wanted Russell to read Acts 16. That was the account where Paul was mistreated at Philippi. That was the account when we saw what happened to him in verse 23 and 24. Paul went, he was ministering, he was having, he was not, it was not in vain. He was seeing responses to the gospel. And what they do in 23 and 24 is they beat him. When he says here this... Um, Suffered, verse 2. That word is the word for bodily injury. They beat him. 
They gave him stripes. We saw in verse in, in Acts 16. They weren't like the Jews where they would give 39, 40 save one. They did it till they got sick of it. And literally, they would tear open the person's back. Now you imagine gashes going through someone's back, and it's, again, not, not little paper cuts. It's gashes. And with the beating, his face would have shown it. Paul was beaten. He was, and he was flogged, he was beaten, and then it says they took him into the jailer and he put him in stocks. If you remember when we went through that passage, we talked about those stocks. And I have pictures of me and my brother-in-law way, way ago going on this trip and they had the stocks where you could put your hands in, take your picture, everything's cute. These stocks were torture. They would put your feet in them and spread them so that your legs would cramp up and you couldn't do anything about it. This was just more torture that Paul went through for taking a stand for the gospel. And then it says he was shamefully entreated. Okay, now that goes from the physical torture to now, this is that, that public humiliation, that personal indignity. I don't know exactly you know, how far they would have you know, stripped him down to, to whip him, but it was humiliating. And he was shamefully entreated. I, don't person, I wouldn't personally have blamed Paul, because this is probably what I would have done. Had that happened to me, they ushered me out of town within a day, two days. I would have wanted to go find a place, heal, lick my wounds, the humiliation part of it. I would want to regroup. I wouldn't be looking forward to going and seeing more people and having more of this thrown on me. You know, maybe you go back and say, okay, maybe I should be seeker-friendly. Maybe I should be reconsidering how I'm going at this gospel thing. Maybe I need to change what I'm saying. Well, you go back into Acts 16, and the verses after where Russell stopped reading, the verses after they were in that prison, hurting, beaten, singing praises to God. They didn't give up on the Lord. He was ready to keep serving. He was serious-minded about following Jesus even after that beating, even after that humiliation. We could camp there a long time. We need to be serious-minded. Let's keep reading verse 2 again. Even after we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know at Philippi, even after all of that, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. So Paul came directly from Philippi. He didn't take a break. Paul didn't go somewhere and have his wounds heal. Paul's back would have still had open gashes all over it, covered by whatever robe he's wearing. His face would have been bruised. He would have still been somewhat disfigured from the beating. And Paul went from there, and he went straight to Thessalonica, about a three-day journey. The wounds and what he went through would have been noticeable. Now, I don't know about you, but I think if I saw some guy like that come to me and start trying to tell me about his Jesus, 
My first question to me, what happened to you? How did you get all this messed up on your face and your back? How did this... And you think about what Paul went through, how Paul reacted to the persecution. Paul experienced persecution and he still kept following Jesus. Now you think about that. That action alone is a testimony. That action that he performed, if you will, in front of the Thessalonians, that would have been a draw. God could have used the fact that he responded to persecution well. Listen, the same thing's true with us. How do you and I respond when things aren't going our way? I don't like thinking about that. Sometimes I get just agitated, I get selfish, I want my way, and if you don't want it, I'm going to snap at you. And We can get really selfish. And we can forget who it is we're supposed to be serving. The fact that Paul responded the way he did was a huge testimony. And I want to suggest to you, as we go through our own trials, as we go through our hard times, how we respond is a huge testimony to those around us. If all I'm doing is bellyaching because things aren't going my way, what good is my Lord to me when I'm trying to, in somebody else's mind? You say you follow this Jesus and yet you just can't, you can't cope with anything? Is your Lord really that powerful? This, was a, this one was another one of those convicting ones for me. God needs to make a difference in my life. God here, he was making a difference in these people's lives through Paul. And they knew, get the, they, they knew from the get-go Okay, look at that man's face. Look at that man's back. Look how he's limping. Look at the issues he's had, all because he's a follower of Jesus. They knew from the very beginning, uh, being a Christian costs you. Being a Christian, this is a big deal. This is not something we want to enter into very lightly. We want to be serious about what we are saying we're wanting to do and who we're wanting to follow. So even after Philippi, again in this verse in verse two, even after Philippi, Paul he says here, we, him and Silas and Timothy, we were bold. We were bold. We were courageous. And this is where I got this word for this point. We we had tenacity. We were not going to quit. That's what Paul was all about. He just kept pushing. Can you, Think about what we see in the American church. I know I pick on American culture, and, and I'll keep picking on American culture. We're a soft culture. There is the, the, this, this word tenacity is like this out there word for strange people. We're supposed to be tenacious. We're supposed to be bold. Paul wasn't going to quit. And this doesn't mean that Paul had arrived. Because if he was most likely, this is the first letter, most possibly the first letter written in our New Testament. Possibly. Either way, it's really early on. And Paul is writing this, we think, from Corinth. 
And when he wrote to the Corinthians, he said, you know, when I was there, this is what I was like. And one of the things that he would say, this is what I was like, Paul said he struggled with fear. He had much trembling. Paul was a person just like us. He had his issues. He wasn't a man without struggles. But he was bold. And the reason he was bold, back to this verse, we were bold in our God. We were bold in our God. That's where his boldness came from. He was a follower of Jesus. The gospel that he was presenting, it wasn't just something he had made up. This is God's good news. And we say we believe that. But think about that careful. This is God's good news to mankind. Do we really believe it? If we really believe this, this book came from God Almighty, I'm going to be in it. I'm going to be wanting to know what God says to me in this book. And I'm going to be doing what God says is good if I really believe this book is from God. He says in verse 2, our, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God. It was God's good news. So he had a confidence in his Lord. And you know you have that confidence in God when that trust, that confidence, affects your decisions. That's how you know you believe it. When it will affect what you do. As we were looking in Sunday school, uh, we were looking at how um, John the Baptist was teaching, you need to repent and it should have results in your life. There should be effects of what we say we believe. If there's no effect, if it doesn't change your life in some way, then you, it's hard to say whether you believe it or not. So that's what's happening here. He, this trust affected Paul's decisions. And that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. See, we intentionally, and I, I don't know how to push that word any heavier, we intentionally trust Jesus regardless. It doesn't matter what comes our way. We trust Jesus because we have confidence that His ways are right. And it wasn't like he was nervous that something might happen to him now with that persecution bit. He's not just saying, okay, that was back in Philippi. We're all done. Look at the end of that verse, verse 2. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. That contention followed him right into Thessalonica. He was experiencing that right there, and he was still being bold. This opposition, the contention, the agony, it was intense. And there was a lot of it. Now this, this is my opinion. This is not scripture. My opinion. I think it's really hard for you and I to understand what Paul went through. I think it's difficult. We have never experienced this kind of persecution in our life. Now there are people in this world today who would say they would read this and say oh yeah yeah of course I get it because they're going through it on a regular basis they're in this caste system where because they're Christians they're hated 
They know what it's like to be persecuted. They know what it's like to be attacked. It's their reality. We don't have it to that degree, but listen, any time you and I seek to help people make peace with God, any time that happens, you want to further God's kingdom, you want to, to witness for Him, there is going to be spiritual opposition. It's going to happen. We know it's right. We know it's right to serve Him. We know it's good to follow what He says. We know it's good to want to make disciples. So why is it that you and I, and maybe you don't struggle with this, why do we cower away? Why is it when you have that, you know, you, you think, that person needs to hear the gospel. I've got this opportunity. And you kind of get this, and you get nerved. Been there, done that. Here's why. Well, here's not why. That thought's not coming from the Holy Spirit of God that's in you. There is spiritual warfare happening, and it happens on a regular basis. You and I need to keep striving in our relationship with our Lord. Here's how you do this. You submit to Him. You follow Him. You obey Him. That's how your relationship grows. It's one step at a time. As that relationship grows, our confidence grows. The Lord grows that in us. And it, He will help us to have this same boldness. That's what He desires for us. It's one step at a time. Too often we look for these big leaps that we can take. And we can grow these leaps and bounds. Make your next decision a right one. That's the key to spiritual growth. It doesn't matter what that next decision is, but it must be intentional. Your application statement, as we intentionally seek our Lord and call on Him to strengthen us, He will help us to stand for Him boldly. As we intentionally seek Him. Now, as an aside to this, part of seeking Him is to use the tools He's given us. We know some of these tools. He's given us His Word. We have it. We have it freely. We should use this. We should be in this book. If we're not in it, I have a hard time when I'm not getting into this book saying, I believe this is truly the Word of, words of God. If I'm not in it, I'm not saying I believe that. So the, you, you need to be in the book. We have the privilege of being able to go directly to our God in prayer. Bring every petition we've got and He delights to hear them. We have these privileges. Let me just tell you one of the tools we have that God Himself gave us, and I think we don't use it like we should. It's this place. This group. Not this building. This group. God gave us the local church. He told us. How clear can He get? As much as you see the day approaching... How many times have we heard people say within the last month, I think the end times are near? I do too. I really do. I can't say it's, you know, I don't, I don't know when, but everything is lining up. We are to exhort one another, and so much the more as we see that day approaching. 
Okay, exhort one another. Get together, encourage, challenge. You don't do that without being in the body. You don't do that without being committed to the body. He's given us this tool. We need to take advantage of this. We need to use this and come together often. You can't do that without being committed. You've got to be. Another characteristic we see in Paul's life that needs to be in ours, point two, faithful teaching. Faithful teaching. Verse number three, For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. He starts with negatives. Three things, this is what it was not like. This is what I didn't do. And most likely, I mentioned this at the beginning, Paul is responding to attacks, accusations that were made about him, primarily by the Jewish community that was against him, the jealous ones. Now history tells us, so this is what he didn't do, but history tells us that there was a lot of guys in that time frame who were coming into places like Thessalonica, Remember, a quarter million people, roughly. They would come in and they, they just loved to start up new religions. Greeks love plurality of gods. The Romans liked the pluralities of gods. And the more you could make your religion sensual or in it for me, the better you were going to do. And if you had this, if you had a persuasive, winsome personality, you were you could do pretty well. You could profit from people. That was normal, and there was a lot of it happening in that day. And it sounds like this is what Paul is being accused of. You're one of these guys that came in and you're trying to take advantage of people. So he says here. Our exhortation, our teaching, our urgent appeal to you. They were being forceful with their appeal. They were saying, here's what our teaching was, was not like. So the first one, it was not of deceit. Okay. English, I've said this before. Um, people a lot smarter than me have said this, so I'm repeating what I've been told. English is a lousy language. In some ways, English isn't even a language. It's just this compilation of all these different languages, and it's lousy. It's the hardest, if I've heard right, the hardest language in the world to learn because it just makes no sense. It's very strange. We grew up with it. We can do it. But English is a lousy language, and this is just an example of where English isn't so hot. Okay? We've got these words here. It wasn't of deceit, uncleanness, guile. So deceit, guile. Those are like synonyms for us. This is one of those words. One guy I know calls these, um, oh, deceitful friends. Because we think we know something and we really don't know it. The word here, deceit, it really is the word guile. Guile means deceit. Deceit doesn't mean like we think deceit. So here's, here's deceit. Deceit, this word in the Greek means um, inaccurate. Our teaching to you wasn't inaccurate. It wasn't in error. He was saying our doctrine is pure. What we said to you was accurate. We didn't stray from what was orthodox. That's what the deceit here would be translated as. He didn't water it down, and this is where we get into issues today. He didn't water down the gospel or add man-made elements to it to make it easier for people to accept. 
his doctrine was pure. He simply stuck to the word of God. That's what we need to do. He stuck to the scriptures. Now keep in mind, most of these complaints that he's getting, it's coming from Jews. So the Jews, their Bible was the Old Testament, right? This was the first, probably the first book written. All Paul was preaching from is the same book. He's preaching from the Old Testament just like the Jews were. What the Jews are saying was, you're not interpreting the Bible right. You're not interpreting the Scriptures, the same ones we have, you're not interpreting them in a right way. So what was he interpreting wrong? You're saying Jesus was Messiah. You're saying this Jesus rose from the dead. You're saying this Jesus is the one that was prophesied about in our Bible. That's exactly what he was saying. And he was right. So what the Jews should have done has been like the Berean Jews who searched the Word of God to see if what he was saying was accurate. But they didn't do that. What they preferred to do is what people today prefer to do. They looked at their tradition. They looked at their biases. They looked at what somebody may have told them. They took Scripture out of its context. And they led others astray. People, we, we, this happens all the time today. This is what people today do. And as people take Scripture out of context, and then we go back and try to work with some of those people, and we say, you know, we need to take this book in a very literal fashion. As literal as we can, we take the Word of God. People reject this. It doesn't satisfy the little itching ears that they may have. We need to be serious-minded about this book and take it in its context. This is what Paul was being fussed at for. The point for us with this verse is we present the Word of God, let's be accurate, Let's present it very accurately. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to add our opinions. We don't need to take away from it. If you don't have a Bible verse or a clear biblical principle to really hang your hat on for what you're trying to say, don't say it. We need to have Bible to back up our points. Sometimes, and I mentioned this earlier, we like to credit God with our opinions. God doesn't need my opinions. He doesn't need your opinions. What he said is right, and we just need to stick to what our God says. And that implies something. You need to be a student of this book. You need to be a student of this book. It's not going to happen by osmosis. You're not going to get everything you need just by coming to a service a week. It's not going to happen. You need to be intentionally getting in to this book. So he said it wasn't of deceit. Also, it's not of uncleanness. That word is used in a few different ways. It can be used to describe somebody who has a greed for power, a greed for money. It can be used with that kind of an, uncle, uh, an uncleanness in their desires, an uncleanness in that, in that kind of a moral sense could have been referring to that but the normal use of this word is sexual immorality that's the normal use he's saying we did not come to you with sexual immorality 
It was extremely common. Remember I talked about those guys that would come in, if they were winsome, if they were persuasive, if they could have a big following and make a living. Part of the following of most of the religions, secular history tells us, is they would come in, and we've seen this in Scripture as well, the way that you get close to the gods, plural, the way that you can get close to them is through the priest and the temple prostitutes. It's by having illicit sex with them and paying for that. He's saying, we didn't do this. We weren't looking out for our best interest. It wasn't all about us. We came in wanting to minister to you, and you know this. He addressed the same thing in Timothy. Remember when he talked about um, the, the people who were not following Jesus, they would come in and lead silly women astray, captive. This is the context. These silly women, as he described them, would come wanting to get closer to God and do whatever it was the priest said to do and pay for that. Because they wanted peace with God. And Paul was saying, we didn't do this to you. You think about what we see today. And both of these are so common. When you hear either cults today or you hear people coming in and wanting to get a following, there is that desire for power, the desire for money, and often it leads to desire for immorality. And hence we see people falling left and right from these positions of spiritual leadership. It's sad, but this is still happening in our day. What Paul was saying here with that phrase is we were living pure. We were not living in an impure way in this, in this pagan society. He was accused of self-centered desires, and he's saying that's just not the case. And they knew it. The believers knew it. So this is something we need to be careful with. It's something I try to be careful with just in this ministry, not to set myself up for failure. I don't want my good evil spoken of. I don't want to avoid all appearance of evil. We need to be thinking this way nowadays, especially Paul was. But So uh, verse 3, not of deceit, not of uncleanness, nor in guile. Okay, guile, there's our word for deceit. Now, you may not care for this. Every, no, that's not true. Many of us in this room, myself included, like to do this. We like to do this word. I enjoy doing it. I've heard some of you talk about doing it. And you said it with a smile on your face. Here's what th th this word that I'm talking about. This is, we do this when some of you go out and you try your best to convince this helpless little fish that you're giving him a free meal. And you put that free meal on a hook. Shameful people. And you throw that hook out there. And you want that poor little fish to be deceived, don't you? And you want to hook him and drag him in, and some of you eat him. How dare you? You're practicing guile. Now, I do it in a different way. I sit in a tree stand. And I want to convince Bambi, you can just come have some supper. And as you're eating, you're going to think it's safe. I want you to think it's safe. I want you to just mosey right on over to me. And I want to shoot you. 
And while you're busy eating supper, I want to take you home and I want to eat you for supper. I'm practicing guile. All, this is the word, and that, that's the whole way it's used. Okay, that's the meaning of this word. In secular literature, they would uh, talk about using it in uh, bar rooms. Somebody would start to get drunk, and they would water down their wine really, really heavy, and the people drunk had no idea. They would think they were getting something that they weren't getting. That's our word. So this is the idea that Paul is saying, I am not guilty of this. The phrase we, you'll hear me use this phrase fairly often, we don't want to use bait and switch. We don't want to try to tell somebody, you need to be a follower of this way that I'm in, and then later on tell them, well, here's what it really means. This is what's involved. This is what you really signed up for. What we do today, and this happens fairly often because we, we do this, we don't give people the full story until they've committed to it. Paul, they were accusing him of being deceitful to get a following. They're saying, Paul, you didn't tell these people the full story. You just tried to hook them. And he said, that's not true. My motives were totally pure. I tried to tell them everything. And if nothing else, Paul showed it by the bruises on his face. By the marks on his back, he showed them, this is what you're signing up for. So do we need to be concerned with that today? I'm, I'm going to say we do. We should never, never, ever should you and I just try to get somebody to pray a prayer. We should not be trying to get someone to just make a commitment. If we are not doing the best we can, to explain to them, this is what you're signing up for. This is what this really means. We're trying to tell people, and we'll tell them after, you need to have a life that is fully surrendered to Jesus. When you sign up, if you will, to be a Christian, you're saying, I want to have Jesus as Lord dictating my life telling me what it is he wants, and me saying, yes, sir. I want him to be my leader. It's not about having a convert. It's about us being faithful to Jesus as Lord. That's what we need to be concerned about telling people. Verse 4. But, okay, we didn't do these things, but as we were allowed of God... To be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which tries our hearts. Okay, this one had me scratching my head for a little while. And one of the reasons is, and something that when the translators translated these verses, one of the things they liked to do was put in variety to make it read, more readable, more, you know, they would not try to use the same words. I prefer the same word to be used because it helps me to understand it better. And this word we have here is one of those friends, familiar friends that we think we understand it and we don't. But as we were allowed of God. Okay, allowed in our culture. That means I had permission. God allowed me to do this. That is not this word. This word, if you look down further, God which tries our hearts. Tries and allowed. Same word. So it helps, it's going to help us to understand the word allowed 
if we understand that word tried. God tries our hearts. That word means to examine. That's that sunlight word. It means to examine, and then when you see that it's examined and it's good, we approve. So we would see, let's go back to the first part of this verse. As we were tried, examined, approved of God. So God looked at what Paul and his friends were doing. Paul, God examined them. God approved them. That's what's being said with that aloud. God approved them. You think back to Luke 16. It's verse 10. It says, you know, he was faithful in little things, will be faithful in much. This is the concept that we have here. You ever stop to think that maybe, just maybe, a reason we don't see the opportunities coming our way that we may see other people getting is maybe we haven't just we're not being faithful in little things. We need to be faithful in little things. And I, how many times have you heard me say those words? Make your next decision a right one. It doesn't matter what that decision is. Just make that next step a right one. Here, God is the one who did this approving of Paul and Silas and Timothy. He was the one who's looking at their lives. It's God doing this. And then God entrusted them with the gospel. God approved us, allowed, approved us to be put in trust with the gospel. He saw that they were faithful. He saw that they had, let's say, this track record of following him. He says, you know what, I'm giving you more. I'm giving you something bigger. Let me just ask this question. You take this how you will, but is there something in your life? If you have the Holy Spirit in you, I'm going I'm to tell you, he'll push your buttons. He will. Is there some little area? And I say little in the sense of, I know good and well what I'm supposed to do. I know that I should be faithful with, and you fill in the blank. I have been convicted about this. I know, and maybe I've pushed it off so long, it's not convicting so hard anymore. But some little area that you are not being faithful with. If there is, do not expect God's trying, approval. Don't expect it. Does it mean that you lose salvation? No. Does it mean you can grieve the Holy Spirit? Yes. You are, when you enter a relationship with Jesus, you are secure. You cannot lose that because God's the one that did it. But you sure can grieve Him. And you can make your ministry opportunities very low by your disobedience. God can use whatever He chooses to use. I'm not trying to put God in a box. I'm just saying He tries us and He approves or He disapproves of what we're doing. We need to be faithful with the little things. Paul was found faithful. He was tried and found faithful, approved of God for something bigger, which was proclaiming the gospel. And notice those next few words. We were put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. He was put in trust with something bigger, and what do you know? He kept doing it. 
Don't, don't get the idea, oh, if, I get, if God entrusts me with something big, then I'll be faithful. No, you won't. If we're not being faithful with little things, don't think you're going to be faithful with something bigger. Be faithful with the little things. And can I caution us a little with this? Maybe you're thinking, and I hope not, I don't want any more responsibility. I don't really want God to say, okay, now you're going to go do this bigger thing. I don't want that. If that's you, listen to me, you're not walking with Jesus. You're just not. It's not there. You can't say, I'm walking with Jesus and refuse or not want to do what He's called you to do. He did not call you to go have a home in heaven when you die. He called you to serve Him. He called you and I, He ordained us, is the word, unto good works. He commanded us, go make disciples. And I'm going to say, I don't want this? People, that is what we signed up for. That's what being a Christian is all about. It's about following Jesus. If we didn't sign up for Him to be Lord of my life, if that's not what I signed up for, then I really need to step back and say, okay, what exactly was I thinking? Where was my trust? What was my intention? And there's places it's not unhealthy to step back and question, why did I do what I did? He wants us following Him. This is a serious issue. And so we shouldn't take it lightly. If you belong to Him and His Holy Spirit has brought something to your mind where you're not being faithful, you are at this very moment, you're at a fork. And here's what you're going to do. Either you're going to say, yes, Lord, I submit. I repent. I'm going to follow you. You're right. I'm wrong. Let's go. That's what you're, you're going to do that one. Or you are going to intentionally resist God and be stiff-necked. Those are your two choices, and that's all there is. You're going to do one of those two because you are at this fork. And when we choose to do the stiff-necked approach, it leads us to more stiff-necked approaches. We need to make our next decision a right one. We need to do what is right. Or we're in rebellion. Those are your options. So Paul's saying here, we were faithful. And God entrusted us with more because of our faithfulness. He blessed us. And this was a blessing, what Paul got to do. This should be our heart's desire as followers of Jesus. Now his goal, end of that verse, it was not to please men, but God which tries the hearts. His goal was not to please people. It wasn't to get a following. It wasn't to make people think he's wonderful in our context. It wasn't for me to say, I'm going to tickle your ears so we can grow a church. It wasn't so I could look good and, and come in here and do good enough so you all think that I'm doing something wonderful. It wasn't to please people. His motive was to please God, the one who's doing this examining, the one who's doing the approving and, or disapproving in our lives. He wanted to please God. 2 Corinthians 5.9, we strive to please Him, paraphrasing, regardless. Death 
life, anything in between. It makes no difference. I want to please God. That is 2 Corinthians 5.9. We should be pushing, passionate to please Him. That was Paul's goal, and it should be our goal. Your application statement. Let's strive to live faithful to God so one day we can hear, well done. So we've seen two things today that should be present in our lives. You and I should have a passion to give out the gospel. And we should strive to live faithful in our lives, have a faithful message, have faithful motives, and we should be seeking to please our God. If those things are not interesting, I'll use that word, if those don't interest you, then you have a spiritual problem. And I'm not sure what that spiritual problem is, but I'd be more than happy to help you with that. But there's a spiritual problem if these things don't interest you. We'll stand for a moment. If you've never become a follower of Jesus, nothing you do can please the Lord. Nothing. Our lives are tainted with sin. And if you want to be acceptable to God, it's only going to happen as you come through the sinless one, Jesus. You must come through Jesus. If you'd like to know more, please pull one of us aside. Talk with us. We'd love to help you. Christian, ask God to help you respond in obedience as he convicts you. You need his help. He delights to give you his help. But we've got to keep striving to live pleasing to him. It needs to be a passion. You do business with God as he leads. Thank you.